for several weeks. We've been in this series called First Things First, and we wrap it up today. And the premise of the series has been when we put first things first, second things are thrown in. But when you put second things first, you lose both first and second things. And we talked about a number of topics, right, through the series, all the way back to the beginning. We talked about what does it mean to prioritize the spiritual development of people and what does it mean to be a a kind of community that breaks walls and build walls. And you remember that discussion we had on that front? And and Rob talked about the Sunday where what does it mean to be a community that invests in the next generation, one generation to the next. And then the last couple of weeks, we've talked about everyone's favorite subject when they know the pastor's going to be speaking about what the scriptures talk a lot about, which is money and finance and giving. And you guys have been super gracious and encouraging and helpful, though exceptionally quiet on the topics. I was kidding some folks afterwards. Some of you have been asking me, hey, how's it going when you're talking about finance the last couple of weeks? And and I think they were feeling a little sorry for me while they were talking about it. I said, oh, it's been fine. I said, one Sunday, I think it was the first Sunday I talked about money. Usually after service, there's a lot of folks who want to chit-chat about stuff with the service. And afterwards, I'm standing, after I chatted with the band and thanked them for all that they did, I, I stood down here, I looked around, and literally not one person wanted to have a conversation. Oh, it was great. I, uh, okay. So I just kind of headed home. I got home extra early, and Kendra's like, hey, honey, you're home early. I go, yeah, I think it was the topic at hand, honey. That's all I, that's all I could figure out. Um, but I said to you on the first week of the series that we would have a day on this Sunday where we just open it up. I'm going to recap a little bit what we covered. I'm going to introduce um, Matthew 6 treasure principle along the way here, but we're going to allow you to be a key part of what we talk about this morning by open the text lines up and have some interaction on this topic. So I hope you've come primed and ready. My email inbox says you are because some of you have been emailing me the stuff that you want to talk about. Um, so here's how this is going to work. I'm going to invite Ellie Brown. Let's give Ellie a round of applause. Where's Ellie? She's going to be our moderator. And Ellie Scott, do you have your iPad thing? Okay, you already got it. Perfect. She's, our, she's going to be the one who's receiving your questions. Unfiltered, right, Ellie? Sifting through. Do you have your microphone? Where's, oh, Ryan's got perfect. And Ellie, unfiltered, she's going to decide whatever we want to talk about. Is that true, Ellie? Are you? I will not accept any harassing texts from my friends. I will call you out. Oh, she's going to call you out. Now, she has no, on the iPad, this is going to be a text now app. We have none of your numbers programmed in. She has no idea who's texting her for the most part, unless she memorized her friends' numbers, then you better watch out who you are. Um, but then I'm also going to invite Dave, David Weir, and Matt Olsa. So let's give David and Matt a hand. They're going to join me up here. These are the two gentlemen who have lots of letters by their names. Do you know those kind of guys? Like when you get their email, they're kind of like you. When you get the email, lots of letters by your name. They got CFP and all kinds of other certifications on finance. I read their little email subscript. Super smart guys when it comes to finance, and they love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. They're leading the God owns it all class downstairs, so 10 or so of you are already linked up with them, but I wanted to invite them to help me on this topic because I think some of the questions you may ask, they're going to be way more qualified than I am to address, maybe some of the practical financial application because they're really good at Like, people pay these guys money to come into their homes and help them do the kind of stuff that they're doing for free with us as a body for which we're really grateful for. And then I'll just try to represent the pastoral and theological side to things. And I'll be the one to say, I don't know. I don't have any problem to say, I don't know. Um, Now, let me set a little, go ahead and put the phone number up there. 
Alicia. So you can start your texting questions into that, and then they'll start showing up. So just fire off, pull up your phones. If you haven't downloaded the Eagle Church app while you got your phones in front of you and you're messing around on them, download the Eagle Church app while you're doing this, because that's going to be helpful for all kinds of reasons moving forward. But I know you guys want to talk about lots of things when we open up. I've done this before half a dozen times maybe in the life of Eagle. Um, but if you could help us today to kind of keep, let's keep, let's keep it in the sphere of money and finance and giving and stewardship. Can we do that together? And if you want to have other commentary and questions about whatever, life of the church and my preaching and how service is going around here, you're welcome to maybe use that number later on and send in your <laughs> comments. But for right now, for Ellie's sake, let's keep it in the sphere of what we've been talking about for the last few weeks and maybe something that's been resonating in your heart for a question. Because if you have a question, most likely that represents a question from some others around you. And you remember how we started the discussion? We started into the discussion on the question of why. Why does God have so much to say about money and finance? Like, what does he want to talk about this so much? Why can't he just kind of leave this alone with us for a while? Remember that? We talked about that from Hebrews 13, 5. And the core of the why question is, is because God cares so much about the kind of person we are becoming. And he knows this, how we handle our money has a great impact on who we become as a man or a woman. And we talked about the tropos of our interior, the climate of our interior world is dictated by how we handle money and giving is like a thermostat for the interior life that can cause certain things to grow and can squelch other things. Remember that discussion? So why God cares so much about it is because, it's not because he needs us to give to him, he owns the world and everything in it. It's because he cares about the kind of people we'll become. And then we talked about, well, then how would God want us to give? And how, we looked at several different scriptures on that. First Timothy 6 was a key text. He wants us to give generously. He wants us to give joyfully, and he wants us to give consistently. So when the topic comes up about finance and giving and our opportunity, like when one of the worship leaders or myself says, hey, we're going to receive the offering right now. What should, re what should bubble up in our hearts should be joy and gratitude like we get to participate in this. We get to give back a portion of all that he's entrusted to us. That's how the scriptures paint it. Like they consider it like Paul in 1 Corinthians 8 and 9 where the people are like, Paul, like you're going to let us like we want to do that again. It's almost like the Corinthian church was saying pass the offering plate twice so we can get the joy of doing it twice. Now, in 25 years of doing ministry, that's never happened around here, I can tell you that. But that should be our heart response, right? Generously and joyfully and consistently. So that was kind of week one. And then last week, we got rubber meets the road. We, we, from the why, the how, we talked about the how much. What does the Bible say about how do I get started in this? And we introduced the word tithe. We talked about from Genesis 14, Genesis 28, tithe means 10%. We looked at Malachi 3. And some of you, thank you for taking me up on the Malachi challenge. And we said, hey, why not give this a try for 90 days? God says, test him in. It's one of the few things in the Bible where he says, hey, go ahead, put me on the test on this one. And take the 10% of whatever you receive from an income. 1 Corinthians 16 says, in the way that you receive it, how he's prospered you, you give back accordingly. So whatever your pay cycle is, weekly, every other week, monthly, take the first 10% you receive and bring it as an offering to the Lord. That's a starting place, baseline tithe. And then you grow it from there. And we talked about free will offerings, things above that. And then we talked about, well, to whom do you give it? That's how much. And then to whom? 
And then the to whom question was, we talked about the local priesthood, which is the local church, which is where you receive your primary spiritual care and nourishment for you and your family. That's priority one. And then we talked about the needs of the poor, the overlooked, the least of these in our world. And then we talked about the missionary mandate to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we talked about how important it is as a local body that as we prioritize giving to the local church and we strengthen the financial base of the local church, it enhances the other two elements. Remember we talked about that last week? Because we gave a quarter of a million dollars away last year to help the least of these in the world and help the missionary mandate. That came because of your generosity to strengthen the local church base. Because obviously if we can't pay the light bill and keep the basic ministries running, we're not going to be able to give away as much as we'd like to give away. You following me? So it's kind of all woven together. So we've looked at the why, the how, the how much, and the to whom. And we closed last week with that challenging each other to say, hey, if you've never done this, why not give it a whirl and step out and test God in it? And some of you have, and we'll see what God does with it. Maybe we'll have some stories in the weeks ahead. All right, you got anything going in yet? Absolutely. Any questions come yet? So this is one of the most common questions that's popping in, um, and I love this question because I'll just tell you a quick story. It's kind of funny. So about a year ago, I was on this TV show called Shark Tank, and if you haven't watched it, that's not a problem, but if you have, like, you've got to Can we know. watch you on TV? Are you going to be on there? I was on there. Nice. I was crying. I was like ugly girl crying. So <laughs> feel free to watch it. Um, so the question is, um, do you tithe on net or gross before or after taxes? What about bonuses? And I, when I had to, like, numbers are like rainbows and kittens and puppies to me. And I was, like, asking my sister because we were, I'm like, what's gross and Versus what's net. net and what's a cost of good? And that sounds really pretty. So anyway, that's, um, I'd love for you to speak to that. I don't know which one is net and which one's gross. Do you want to speak, Dave, Matt? I can, I can try first. <clears throat> Um, in the class that we're doing the, uh, this morning, uh, uh, led by Ron Blue, and Ron gets that question all the time. And the one thing that Ron says is, do you want God to bless the gross, or do you want God to bless the net? <laughs> so gross, just to be clear, yeah. clarify for everyone. So, so gross is what you get from you know, your employer before anything has been taken out. Even taxes. Even taxes, even your 401k, all of that stuff. The so net, it's the top, top line number. Yeah, the very top line. The net is what, obviously, you take home after all that's been taken out. And I can tell you, being in, this industry, in the industry and, and, and really thinking about this topic a lot, that was actually a hard question for me because for a number of years, um, I like to rationalize things. And um, my income comes variable. And there was a lot of times where I would get a big lump sum amount of money. I'm like, surely God does not want me to, you know, tithe on this number because the government took like half of it. And, and so I would rationalize and I'd say, okay, well, I'll just come back around come tax time when I get a, a return. And then I did that for a number of different years. And I just, I was like, that's not right. So theologically, this would be in the first fruits category. Ellie, I'd say to that person that... The Bible talks about first fruits, like the first truckload of grain from the field, the firstborn animal from the flock, the best and the first. God wants to be honored and treated that way. So I'd say that's why I think the argument is for the gross, to say, hey, it's the top line number, whatever he entrusts you with before government taxes and anything else gets taken out. You step forward and you bring 10% of the gross as a first fruits offering to him. So as a follow-up question to that, somebody had mentioned that they're um, struggling with being able to 
afford 10%. So is there a way to offer your time or volunteer as sort of an in-kind to supplement if you can't do 10%? Yeah, great question. I think um, certainly there's plenty of opportunities for you to serve and jump in and help around here. Every single ministry area at Eagle Church can use another pair of hands, period. Guarantee you, if you walked up to any ministry leader around here, you serve in children's ministry, you know that. Ask any of the tech crew, greeters, ushers, coffee bar, student ministry. Everybody could use another pair of hands. Plenty of opportunities for you to jump in. What I would discourage you from doing is equating your service as a way of offsetting what God's calling us to do in our giving. Okay, I think these are two different topics. I understand why you're asking the question. I just would encourage you, the wrestling match with the Lord is on the giving front and stewarding what you've been entrusted with. So for most folks, when we look at taking the first 10%, let's move out of math, addition, subtraction, let's go multiplication. You remember we ended last week with, God can do more with our 90% than we can do with our 100%, and that's the act of faith and trust and confidence in him. That's where he says, put me to the test on it. So I would just encourage you, if you're struggling with 10% on the number side, test him in it, give him a test in it, and let's see what God does. And I don't think it's a hard and fast, that's the only thing you can do, but I would encourage you to put the Lord to the test on it and not use the act of service as a way of kind of offsetting the financial side. Did I handle that one all right? That was good. And I would just add, for some people, obviously the thought of going from, if you're going from zero to 10%, that can be a huge change. And if things are already challenged as it is, that can be very discouraging. So I'm not gonna say this in an attempt to go against the challenge and go against 10%. But I would say it, in addition, don't get hung up on the numbers. If you're feeling convicted, just do something. Take a step. If it happens to not be 10%, if it's only 5%, if, if God is challenging you to do that, just step out and do something. Because I think, again, with the multiplication, it's about where he's taking you. It's not just about the physical number on yeah. there. And if you step out with an open heart and you just take a commitment to do something, God's going to meet you in that and you're going to have a great story to tell. And that's what's going to get you to take further steps down the road. And and at the same point in time, uh, it's all about priorities, really. And and I can speak bluntly because I'm not the pastor, right? So um, when I work with my clients, um, I make them prioritize everything. And for my clients that are Christian clients, I physically make them say, is giving a priority? Mm. And, and I make them rank that. And so if they're ranking that, number one, that giving is a priority, then it gets the first money. So when I go to Starbucks and I buy my Vinti latte, whatever, um, and I'm not putting in what, what I feel like God has or told me to, to do, in a sense, my Vinti Starbucks is a, mm. is, is a higher priority than giving. And, and, and that really convicts me. So if I'm, if I'm not doing what I want to do, um, I, I, my priorities are out of whack. So every decision that I make, whether it's for spending purposes, leisure, or even some bills in general, um, it's a priority issue. Good. And, and can you claim these as a lot of people are wanting to know about tax deductions? Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you give to the church or an organization, um, there are obviously benefits from that. And we, this morning we talked about this big pie chart in regards to um, where your money goes. It can go to your lifestyle. It can go to debt. It can go to savings. Um, and uh, when you change one, when you give more of your money away to other organizations of the church, part of that pie chart shifts because you start to get some money back. 
which then can be go towards your savings. It can go towards your debt. It can go towards a lot of different things. So that pie chart shifts as your, as your giving changes. And don't be bashful about it. The government says you are allowed to deduct to deduct contributions to charitable organizations. So take them up on it. Do it. And one of the ways that can help you in that for some people, if maybe if you give cash, sometimes that's hard to keep track of. Whereas if you do it electronically or do it via check here in the office, they can keep track of all that. And at the end of the year, you get a pretty little statement that tells you everything you need to know. And so it'll make it easy on you. Um, what about this, Eric? Um, what if husbands and wives don't agree on tithing habits? Mm -hmm. um, what sort of advice would you give them? That's shocking to me. I'm stunned that husbands and wives don't agree on all topics. It's, you know, no, a great question, and I think this is, there's so many layers to this one. The first thing I would say is there needs to be an environment of some honest, open conversation together. I would encourage whomever is feeling more convicted about the giving issue to make sure there's an open discussion with the one who's feeling less comfortable with the giving so that there's open and honest dialogue and to try to find some starting point, to David and Matt's words, like start somewhere together. And if it's a non-believing spouse and a believing spouse situation, obviously that's a whole nother level of challenge. And again, I go back to your role as if you're the believing spouse approaching the non-believing spouse would be make sure they understand your heart and your desire to honor God in that. And then your role is gonna be if they're completely resistant to do it, I wouldn't want you to fracture trust in the marriage relationship. Wouldn't you want to do anything behind their back? I wouldn't want you to do anything deceptively at all. I'd want you to be honest and open, and then your role is gonna be pray for the spirit to move on the other spouse's heart and find some middle ground and meet at that place of middle ground, and that's why I'd... And I would also encourage, do something, say a step like take a financial stewardship series at a church, <laughs> but do something that lets the two of you come together. You know, that's one of the things we actually talked about that today is, is doing some type of a study or some type of a classroom environment that puts you on the same page or at least closer to the same page. That's going to make it a lot easier than as opposed to just husband and wife trying to kind of duke it out on their own because then it's adversarial and you're not going to make any progress that way. If you do something that kind of puts both of you together, obviously you'll still be at different points, but you can work together through that. Well, I was going to say one more thing. Um, usually when it comes to money, money isn't the issue. You know, when you have these disagreements, it's really not about money. It's about something maybe deeper inside, like a trust level or something mm -hmm. like that. So often we, 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 the money is the, the, the symptom or something. So I would encourage you to, um, you know, do some counseling or something like that and just strengthen the marriage first and, and, and gain that level of trust mm, it's good. And, and, and then move on to the money. How are we um, doing, Ellie? Are you getting plenty I'm in getting here? I'm getting tons of we... questions. I'm, uh, I'm trying because there's so many great questions. Um, while you think about this, Eric, I will address two more questions. So think about this. How does the church leadership hold them, each other accountable with regard to tithing? Um, that's for you to think about. And then somebody had asked for a tithing story now. So somebody had texted in a story that says that we took this tithing challenge a few years ago when Eric preached this message. This more than doubled our giving, a real test for us in testing God. We've never looked back, and God has blessed us so much in our faithfulness. So there's a story right there That's from awesome. one of our, our That's great. Thanks for right texting that in. And we hope to be able to share some more stories in the weeks ahead on this. Uh, the question on church leadership, um, great question. And one of the things I want you to know as part of the elder onboarding process is there is a transparency about financial giving. So those of you, those serving in our elder board areas, 
uh, a part of the application process and the vetting and interview process involves uh, financial stewardship. So we're as transparent, we go, we just say, hey, we want to have a discussion about how you're handling giving, and we just want to be able to have an open dialogue about it, because to David's point, if that thing's off the rails, it generally points to some heart issues. So we want to have that conversation. And then as a staff member, one of the ways I try to help manage the staff is in helping lead and manage them, that we try to create an environment of openness on the topic of giving and finance. I'm not asking each staff member to report to me what they're giving, but I think I'm able to go transparently to them and ask them if they're honoring God with their finances and be able to get the help they need. Um, because not every staff member comes from the same position and background um, in ministry life and ministry world, but I am desiring to create the kind of environment where there is an openness and a transparency at all levels of our organization for this topic. Because as I said last week, discipleship and stewardship go together. So if we're gonna be a community of being disciples and making disciples, this topic has got to be a lot more. So if, like in premarital counseling discussions, like if you come and you want me to help you prepare for marriage, guess what transparent conversation we're gonna have at some point? We're gonna talk about finances and we're gonna talk about how you're preparing that because that's key to your discipleship and your growth together, so. A couple of people wanna know if, um, if, if they tithe, um, will, will, will you treat them differently? Will they be treated differently by um, the leaders in the church? Um, wow. And, and then um, as a follow-up for that, um, also if you could speak to some of the dangers of prosperity goals. Yeah, great, great question. First one would be, I have no idea who's tithing and who's not. So let me tell you that, I have no idea. There are people here probably know, like our finance department folks are probably the ones much more in the know on that. I have the capacity, if I needed to know, like, hey, can you give, like sometimes I schedule meetings with some of you in the body when we need some help getting over a financial hump. Before I schedule that meeting, I go to our finance department, I'll just say, hey, I'm gonna approach this family about helping. Could you give me a picture of, are they in a consistent giving pattern? Has it been a while since they gave? And they just give me a general indication because obviously if that family has just given a really large gift, it probably changes my lunch conversation. Are you with me? Versus maybe this family hasn't given in a while, but they have a history of being a strong giving unit. I can go out to lunch and have a little more transparency, but I don't know the specific numbers, okay, gang? So that's just part of a discipline I have. I don't think it's that I can't know. I just choose not to know because I don't want to blur the lines. I don't want you to think that I would treat you any differently based upon who's giving what. I think the right people in the organization know, and they'll let me know if something is pertinent for me to know. And I think I just need to leave it at that. What was the second part of the question? Um, the second qu question was the prosperity. Um, oh, prosperity gospel yeah, stuff. Yeah. 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 That's why Christian TV just makes me cringe. It's like if I'm ever homesick and I really need something to, yeah, if I need something to really get me worked up, I turn on Christian TV station and I'm like, oh my stars, Jesus come quickly. Um, because there's these people telling me to put my hands on the screen and sow seeds of this and that. I'm like, really? And Je There's a whole bunch of stuff done in Jesus' name that has nothing to do with Jesus. Let me say that about the financial stuff. I know this topic comes with a lot of baggage, gang. That's why I'm wanting to have a forum like this. I want you to feel, hey, I know there's a lot of baggage and a lot of background with this topic. And there's a whole bunch of stuff done under the banner of prosperity gospel that has nothing to do with Jesus and his theology for how to handle money and finance. Because that whole concept they have about, well, just give more and receive more. and that, I, The heart is supposed to be a heart of worship and trust and not a heart of give, get, receive kind of thing. I think the trust and confidence is God is gonna be faithful. 
He's going to provide. He's going to care for us. He's demonstrated that over and over again. So I hope you never hear out of us and you have now permission to come talk to me, throw me in the lake if you feel like I'm going down the prosperity gospel road. I'm just trying to be faithful to teach what Jesus and the scriptures teach about how to handle stewardship and money and finance. And giving is really important to him. It's a topic he won't leave alone. And there is a benefit, I think these guys would say as financial planners, they see a, a financial strength and health that comes with family units who step into this. So it's not that the prosperity gospel is so far off the reservation, it just takes a little seated and they run way to the extreme with it. But the front end of that is accurate. I think it's a much healthier financial environment for the family to be in a consistent giving, tithing, stewarding mode. Would you agree, CFP guys? Yes, and, and to, to add on to about the prosperity gospel, for those of you that have traveled all over the world and have met some of the greatest people on the planet that are very faithful, they're very generous people that barely don't know where their meal's coming from. And if you talk to them about the prosperity gospel, that's a slap in the face because, yeah. because they are, you know, 100%, you know, in tune with God. Yeah. And then if they're not, you know, don't have the same, you know, things that we do, all of a sudden they're not as good. I mean, that makes no sense. I was thinking like, how would prosperity gospel go with the remember new trip in Kenya? How about that conversation, right, where the kids get together and they open up all their gifts and they just share them with everybody else? That's like the opposite end of what the prosperity gospel is bringing up. So try to be faithful to what. How are we doing? Good. I have lots of questions. A lot of people, um, different people are asking about, um, you know, when you, when you go to online and you go to give and you can give to the general or you can give to specific general ministries. Fund yeah, or like, like facility fund. I or, feel like people kind of want to understand a little bit more about that and how they should be. Great. And giving. on the giving envelope too, if you've never pulled out your giving envelope, this would be a good moment maybe to pull out the giving envelope and take a look at it. So general fund, isn't that such an exciting term? We're certainly open as leadership. If you have a more inspiring term than general fund, talk to our treasurer, Jason Hill, or Stephen, our chair of the LSA. Come up with a better word. General fund represents the operating engine of our budget. So it keeps the lights on. It keeps the staff paid. It keeps the ministry budgets flowing. General fund, kind of your operational fund and your home budget, okay? What is the cost of the administrative overhead? Uh, Jason, Ruth, Stephen, help, help a brother out up here. Have any ideas? Probably 80, are you got it, Matt? You got it? Well, the, the, oh, the size of our overall budget for this coming year, I think the total budget was $2 million. Right. Of and that, just, do you want the operational? I think it was about 70% in terms of just operational salaries okay. facility. Okay. Is that a typical percentage in churches? That, is that, this person wants to know if that's. You know, Stephen? Yeah, right, so the debt load, Stephen's bringing up our debt load, which made some huge headway this past year, but we've been carrying, I remember in the earlier years of the debt load issue, we were at 87, 88% of our overall budget was in fixed cost. Debt load, paying the light bill, just getting the ministries pulled off, we, like 88% was one year, we were really stretched thin. We're getting that number down more balanced to be able to say 70%. Once we knock out the mortgage altogether, just like in your home, situations, it frees you up to be able to have a more balanced, right, get money to ministry and missions and get the things done we want to get done. I think to answer the question, I don't know percentage-wise across the landscape of churches our size exactly what the percentages are. All I know is we're pretty heavy on the debt load for the size of congregation we are, which is why the initiative to deal with that issue has been so important to us. 
oh, I was going through, so general fund, facility fund goes straight 100% to the mortgage. Missions fund goes straight to help all of our global ministries partners that you've been hearing about. Benevolence fund helps those who are struggling. We have families who, in our own congregation, and some who approach us from the surrounding community who just hit a tough stretch, can't pay grocery bill, light bill, and we help them out. That's Benevolence Fund. So those are the various funds on your envelope that you see there, or you can give online in selecting those. Do we hit that? Yeah, so if somebody is, is currently living below the poverty line, um, should they tithe? CFP guys, you, what do you do with this issue when you meet with... Uh, the situation doesn't change. It's just the dollars that have changed. Um, so uh, my answer is, yes, you need to tithe. Obviously, the tithe is going to be, the tithe of your amount is going to be different than somebody else's right. amount, which is the same regardless. But it gets back to the same issue of, you know, we all have to make tough choices with where all of the dollars go. Is that situation going to be more difficult? Absolutely. Um, are the choices going to be more difficult than you have to make? Absolutely. But ultimately, it's between you and God to make those decisions. It's not like you have to appear before a church panel and explain what you did. You and God sit down, pray over it, work it out. And he's big enough that he can give you direction on what he wants you to do. Yeah, I'm thinking about this story where the lady came and put her only coin into the, the offering. Um, the widow's might. Yeah. And, you know, that's a good representation. And, and for those, of, again, that have traveled around the world, where you see people that are living in poverty, and, and I've seen it time and time again, where they come with their, their last meal. I was served by a family that didn't know where their meal was coming from uh, tomorrow, and, and that was their gift to us. And so, um, absolutely, I think you can. Yeah. I received a communication card on this topic last week. Uh, a mom, wife, mother in the congregation had gone through a divorce, and she just reminded me that she faithfully committed to tithe when her whole financial world came unraveled through the divorce and her number came so I think it was maybe less than a dollar is what she was bringing up. She said, hey, my tithe was actually getting less than a dollar. I just faithfully did it as an act of worship. And she was just commenting about how that was an important part of her healing journey through divorce and all the breakdown. And to Matt's point, it, the totals just changed, but her heart and her commitment to worship God with whatever she was entrusted with, right? It's in proportion with what you're given. Remember I talked about last week though? The tendency is the more commas and zeros you're entrusted with, the temptation is to do this more. At least I'm just gonna speak for me. The bigger the numbers get, the easier it is for me to do this with. When the numbers are smaller, like when I was making a hundred, you know, I was making a hundred bucks at quality muffler warehouse in high school years and I'm gonna tithe on that, well, 10, 10 bucks. That didn't seem so hard to, to bring that check to the local church that weekend. But then you know, as life, seasons of life go and the numbers went up, I felt internally this temptation. And I think that's the, that's the challenge. And that's why God goes at this issue so much is to make sure, hey, no matter what he entrusts you with, he's in charge of it all. And then he's asking us to just be responsible to steward it that glorifies him. And I add one more thing to that. Sometimes our poverty, in a sense, comes from the debt load. And so one of the questions that maybe, you know, would pop up is what if I'm in a lot of debt? Should I still give? And the answer is yes, because those are, you know, decisions that we made previously. And, but I, I hear that a lot. You know, yeah. should I get out of debt first, then tithe? Right. No. Right. Honoring God first. That's back to the first fruits thing. The first thing you do is give away the first 10% as an act of worship, and then you 
let God show himself faithful with the remaining 90. The whole, he can do more with all those other things. That's what Kendra and I did when we got out of school. We had like $40,000 in student loans, and we just lived simply. I think these guys deal with the basic principles of wise financial management from God's word are you spend less than you earn. That's like the first thing, right? You choose a lifestyle that is simpler, right? Just because the bank approves you for a mortgage at this rate doesn't mean you go out and buy a house at that size, right? Basically, spend less than you earn, Make sure you honor God with giving back to him. Start with the 10%. And then you save for the future. You handle your future and your priorities well with that. Right, guys? Just basic, like, principles of financial management that God has made clear. And then you deal with debt, right? You want to get out of debt. Debt's not a good thing. We want you to get out of debt. But if you wait to deal with all those things to give, that's why God always said the first thing you do is give. I don't want to be, he doesn't want to be left with the last lamb in the bunch, with the last truckload of grain that you have, then you give it. No, he wasn't interested in that. He said, bring me the first, because that had to do with trusting him. But what if, what if we don't tithe 10%? Will God be angry with us and not let us be with him? <laughs> no, I don't think it's that kind of an issue. I think it would be much like any other thing in our walk, guys. Like, when we know God's calling us to a step and we're not quite there yet, his grace is sufficient, he'll meet you where you're at, what Matt's brought up, start somewhere. Get going somewhere. I would just challenge you that it seems like the baseline to me is God says get starting somewhere. He starts at 10%. If you can't quite take that chunk off, I think you should test him in it first. That would be my challenge. But if you can't quite get to there, start somewhere. Pray, honor God, keep it with an open hand. And especially some of you whose income even goes like this, just make a covenant before him, whether you're small business owners and all that, just say, hey, whatever the profit margin is for this month on it, God, we're just going to let you know. First 10% is going to you, and we're going to see what you do with this. It's been amazing some of the stories I hear about just how God begins to reorient things. On the front end, it's never going to look like a wise financial step to take when you're just doing the math, but it's the step as an act of worship. I don't think it's a punishment issue. I don't think you're on God's bad side. You're not on the church's bad side. You're not on my bad side. I don't even know what you're giving, but I think it's an issue of obedience between you and the Lord. And just like any other thing in our life, when you know the Spirit's tapping on something, step out, trust Him. And I'd say it's a process, too. I mean, it, this is about the heart, not about the dollar or the percentage amount. If you're giving, if you take that first step and you do, let's say, 5%, but in your heart, you're like, how can I get it up? How can I, I want to do more. God's called me to do more uh, to get back to him. How can I do that? I think God looks at that and, and blesses that as you take these steps going forward. So, you know, we, I often tell people, don't, don't do 10%. Do 10.2, do 9.6, or whatever it is, do 12. <laughs> so get you off the, get yeah. you off the 10% number, mm-hmm. because it's not about the number. That's not the biggest thing. Okay, I'm going to read this question, because it's... Your thing is lighting up over there. I know. It's like, and this, this is, huh? It, there's a lot. Okay, so this is a two-part question. First part, based on last week's challenge to test the Lord with our tithes, we're also instructed in Scripture not to test the Lord your God. Mm. What is the right way or approach in testing the Lord? your motives, trust. The second part, you asked us to share stories over the next 90 days, but isn't this a version of the prosperity gospel? If not, how is it different? If the local believers are robbing God when we withhold our tithes, and if we are doing so, so that a priest or pastor can lead and serve us, then how do we view pastors or priests then spending their time and energy during normal work hours leading outside organizations of groups not affiliated with Eagle? Go. Well, there's a <laughs> section that off. Uh, 
Um, I could, okay. So the first, I think that I was trying to track the layers on the question. That's why I had to read it, because it's, ah. Yeah. Um, based on last week's challenge to test the Lord with our tithes, we're also instructed in scripture not to test the Lord your God. So what's the right way to approach? Yeah, I think it all has to do with the heart, right? There's both, I think that's clear in Malachi 3, the Lord just inviting you to put him to the test on. I think it's trust his character. I will come through, come through for you. I will show myself faithful. And he just called out giving on the issue as like a practical example. It's not permission to just go and, put a fleece out to the Lord on every issue in your life. But on this particular issue, he made it a point to call out his people to say, hey, give it a try. That's what I use for the Malachi challenge. I based it on that just to say, hey, stand on that and see what the Lord does. Well, and just like Eric said, he, God knows that we have a tendency to want to do this with our stuff more than anything else, and that's his way to counter it. Yeah. Who did Jesus give his 10% to? Uh, good question. It would have been the local synagogues. He would have grown up in a family that would have brought their first 10% of probably whatever the currency of his day was, and a lot of it would have been like the physical stuff they would build, so they probably brought some of the physical goods that were their income. Jesus would have brought it to the synagogue, the local synagogues in the area, because he was raised as a Jew in a Jewish family. There was one part of the question, too, that I think was important to address. I think it was something about if you bring your ties to the local priesthood, and what about if the local priesthood is doing ministry outside of Eagle? Maybe this is a reference, like, for example, for me, if I'm doing ministry with the uh, Indianapolis Colts organization, if it's like Colts chaplaincy work and that's taking time and energy for that, um, I think two parts to this. Number one is to understand that the folks who are a part of the Colts organization and ministry also support the financial work of Eagle Church and have been generous to allow us to continue our work here because they recognize the time and energy it takes from me. So they're a part of supporting local priesthood that way. You following me on that? So they're a part of the body and supporting it that way. And the second thing is we need to have an outside the walls of eagle mentality, just like with you guys being disciples and making disciples of all nations. I would hope you would always want your local pastors and local priesthood involved with ministries that have to do outside the walls of this place. Because it's people who are a long way from Jesus all over this world, right? My strongest contact with people a long ways from Jesus comes from my ministry outside the walls of this place. I'm thrust in environments with people a long way from God more in that kind of a ministry than I am just in my local priesthood role here, and that ministry affects this ministry. Was that helpful? And there, there was part of the question about the prosperity gospel again, about how taking the, the oh, time yeah. challenge. And <clears throat> what, I, <clears throat> what I would say to that is, um, you know, money can be a tool. It can be a test. God tests us to what we're going to do with our money. And then it can also be a testimony. And where that comes in, the testimony comes in is, and I've seen this personally in regards to where I've taken steps of faith that I normally wouldn't do, is that God has blessed our family in a number of different ways. You know, money's one, but there's many other different ways. But I can tell you this, when, when God's blessing does come, it also comes with responsibility. And I can tell you that it, it, it's never easy. Mm. And, and he often calls me to one another um, a higher level, yeah. you know, in a sense to do something uh, additional. So it's not like all of a sudden this money comes your way and then all of a sudden we're going to go out and buy the next, you know, car or whatever. Usually it comes with, okay, God, you know, what's next? And, yeah. and, how, how, and, and there's a joy in your heart that comes from that of wanting to find what, what does God want me to do next? All right, Ellie, we got time for one. You got to pick one now. I'm going to give you a chance. Pick one final question because uh, I want to wrap it up that way and I want to leave you with a Matthew 6 principle. And then our commitment will be, and Ellie will help us with this, we'll try to, between Dave, Matt, and I, we'll try to group up some of the remaining questions and maybe we'll put a blog together. Um, we'll put a blog and put it on their website and maybe the three of us will just try to, you know, question was this and type up a few answers and 
push out as best we can to you guys. Is that fair? Because so, I, I mean, we could be up here all day. We appreciate your willingness to engage with us. I hope it's helpful. But how about one last one, Elliot? Pressure's on you here. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so um, I know the answer to this question. Is there, is there there's still room in the class? Or will you still let people come in to your class? Absolutely. Well, and I also think, though, too, that we'll probably, we, if there's enough uh, interest, we'll, we'll do it again. So instead of coming in in week three, you know, we could maybe offer it again. Um, so on the website, I think, and on the app, you can sign up for the class, and there's a um, um, waiting list seat, uh, waiting list sheet there. Why don't you put your name in the waiting list spot if you aren't in the class yet but want to be a part, and then these guys will get in touch and determine, jump into the current one or wait for the next one. So they're three weeks in, the week two today of a six-week deal. But our desire, I told these guys when we started, is we're just, this is just going to be a part of the rhythm of our discipleship around here. So we're going to be doing the God Owns It All. These are two great guys that just help lead. And the class isn't just a six-week and be done. It's a six-week to help spawn then the follow-up and the application of it, of these two guys' resources along with some others of you in the body to help us put it into practice, right? Because we're in it together. This is an us thing. We're all trying to figure this out together, and there's a lot of power in a lot of people working on it. Um. Will you guys speak to this because this is a common thing? So you've got all your debt paid off, right? You've you've tithed. You're you're in a good financial situation, and you want to think about your future, and you want to save, you want to invest. Are you going to speak? You know, could you speak a little bit to that? And um, what do people do above and beyond when they are in that type of situation? Let me speak theological side first, and let you guys get practical. I would say this is the New Testament portion of what what Jesus and Paul and how they approach giving would be. Say, hey. You start with the tithe, and here's what you get to the place. You get to the place where you simplify your lifestyle in such a way where you say, hey, this is what I need to take care of my basic needs for my family and our future. And then whatever that amount is, you say, God, all the rest is going to you and to forward your work in this world. So that would be like proportional giving versus percentage giving. So proportional giving would be Jesus' approach to it is, it's all the Lord's anyway. Decide what you need to live on and care for your basic needs and care for your future. And then everything else is his. And so that's why you hear people talk about, well, they earn, they take 10% of what they earn because their earnings high enough, and they give 90% away. They call it reverse tithe. Some of the people live that way. That would be more the New Testament principle of it. You following me? So it's kind of a proportional giving in the, in the sense of an open-handedness. So as you go through seasons of life and your financial needs change and God entrusts you with more as your career progresses, I think that open-handedness, it's all his, and the number might go from 10%, 20%, 30% to just give it away to him and to forward his work. How did I do with that one? Good. And I think we're probably both of us are going to have lots to say, but I'll do my best to keep this brief. Um, the first thought in... in picking up on that is to remember saving is not bad there's actually a section in the bible where they command an ant and say look even the ant's smart enough to realize he's got to save to have food through the winter so it's good to save mm -hmm. it's wise to save god backs that up in the bible and and i will just say that a lot of the details along the way you're going to god and you will consult with what's the appropriate standard of living but put this as a picture for what you're working towards imagine You've been faithful. You've been working with God. You've done a good job savings. What if you get to the point where by the time you're 60, you have saved up enough that you don't have to work for a paycheck anymore? You can fund your own living expenses. You can take care of business. Imagine how you could serve differently if you didn't have to show up for your job every day. And, and I think that's a really powerful thing that 
that gets lost when we talk a lot about this is what could be done for the kingdom if we have a generation of people who through good yeah. choices and good planning put themselves in a position where now they are free to serve in much larger ways because they don't have to worry about a paycheck anymore. Yeah, and what I'd say is, you know, one of the biggest questions I get is how much is enough? And, and that's something that you have to pray about and, and, and try to discern. Um, but uh, a lot of my, my, one of my favorite questions back at them is when they get to retirement age and they're right there, I look at them and go, all right, now what? What are we going to do with all this money that you've amassed? And then they, they look back at me with blank stares. And I don't know. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's figure it out. And in and, and the end, in a sense, the, you know, the time period that we live in right now in this culture is the greatest, the most amount of wealth that's ever been formed in the history of the world. Yeah. In the history of the world, we've never seen this kind of wealth. And there are some people out there that believe that maybe this is because God is preparing a generation of people that instead of just passing it on to their kids and just saying, here, take it and do whatever you want with it, maybe God's calling this generation to say, hey, look, let's fulfill the Great Commission in, in this generation. Let's reach out to everyone wow. and let's use these assets not just to make Johnny, you know, that much richer, but to actually give back to God. Can you imagine? It would take our breath away, church to be a tithing community. It would be a take our breath away. And then to go beyond that, which I just don't think it's beyond God to do that. It would just be unbelievable the kind of work we could move forward together as a community if we just started there as that baseline faith step and then beyond. How cool would it be for those of you moving into retirement years that you've managed your finances in such a way that you come to your local church body that you're serving in and saying, hey, by the way, I moved into retirement years. You don't have to pay me a dime for this, but I'd like to give these hours to help lead in local church life as a part of my retirement stretch because I've handled and managed my finances in a way I have freedom to do that. Can you imagine? Wouldn't that be cool? All kinds of other staff leadership things going on from a bunch of folks who don't need to be paid on the payroll for it just to advance the kingdom ball down the field together. Ellie, you've been great. But I didn't read the most important text I got. All right, what is it? If Eric does five push-ups, then someone will take the challenge. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's a no brick. Come on now. This physique says I can't do five push-ups? Come on now. You got to count with me now. You got, hey, where's Estridge? Hey, Chris, you got to tell me. How's my form? That's my trainer over there. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. All right, let's pray. We better pray on that note. And then, uh, Jesus, thank you for opportunities to just be open and transparent and be a community that cares about how we manage what you've entrusted to us. Like David and Matt said, when we look at all that you've given us in this part of the world, wow. Probably one topic you'd bring up if you were to stroll in to this local body in this community. It'd probably be this one. So help us be faithful. May we worship you even as we're about to receive the offering now. May we do so with generosity and gratitude and joyfulness because of all you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give a round of applause to our helpers up here. Good job, guys.